0: Go ahead and turn to uh, the Old Testament book of Ruth. And we're going to get there in just a couple minutes. And um, if you need a Bible to follow along, or maybe you want to open your Bible app, but we, we have some Bibles here if you'd like to follow along. Uh, I also, I also want to say, as we're kind of getting settled and opening up our Bibles, Um, I just love this time of year because everything changes like don't you love the Christmas trees Not just the star trees but having the Christmas trees in here and then I want to thank our creative team for um, the set uh, that looks so nice and um, makes us think about Christmas Um, There are also there's a there's a basket I think or maybe you can just put on the table in the back of the room Uh, if you want to bring pictures uh, the Christmas tree on the glass in the foyer, kind of facing the foyer, has some pictures that we found from just the life of our church family, but if there's some pictures of your family in association with uh, the church here, some activities here, or selfies you've done here, uh, we'd love to hang those as well. Just leave them, we'll put them up for you uh, and do that. And um, just excited about the next month. This officially ushers into uh, our season. Uh, the Christmas season has a church. We're going to be talking through uh, what the Bible talks about and the Christmas story. We're going to get there in kind of a little different way. also want to mention that um, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year, and we're going to have two services just like normal, normal Sunday morning service uh, that morning, and then two Christmas Eve services at 5 and then 6.30 that night. So I hope you'll make plans to not only be here, but bring your family, uh, bring some neighbors. We're going to really celebrate. Jesus, and it's exciting to have that time on a Sunday this year. Uh, It's become the habit at our house uh, to, uh, during Thanksgiving weekend, to start putting up Christmas decorations. Anybody else wait till Thanksgiving at least? Uh, I know they'll go up. Zaxby's, like Zaxby's, was like, I think it was the first day of school. Their uh, Christmas stuff (laughs) went up but we wait to (laughs) Labor Day. That's right. Um, Now Donnie, Donnie up here lives in Bridgeton. You ever been to Donnie's house uh, over? (laughs) near Bridgeton. You need to go over there because he is completely Clark Griswold over there. <laughs> he has lost uh, grasp of reality, but it's really cool. You can drive right through his, uh, drive right through his uh, driveway and see all the lights that he puts up. But we wait till Thanksgiving, and, and we all kind of know our jobs at our house, what, what, uh, what we're in charge of. I'm in charge of the yard and Christmas tree balls. We live on Canterbury Road, so I have a pretty, uh, I have a pretty um, important job in our family, uh, one that I tend to loathe at this point after 15 years of doing tree balls. But um, then we all, uh, we all get together. We get in the car, and we uh, go out uh, into, onto a farm. We drive out into the country on a farm, and we um, hand-cut a tree out of somebody's uh, field out there. Have you ever done this? We don't either. We go to a food line and get a tree... <laughs> Um, Or Lowe's. I think we went to Lowe's on Black Friday this year and got our tree. But my job with the tree, I understand my role in the family. Bonnie and I have been married 27 years, and I understand at this point, my job is to get the tree uh, into the stand and then get the tree and the stand into the house. Uh, Now, I got to tell you, somehow this year, I got roped into uh, helping Bonnie put the lights on the tree in the house, and I I really believe, I really believe, that this is the greatest test of your marriage that there is, right? (laughs) Husbands and wives putting the lights on the tree. There is no greater test for any marriage. So Bonnie wasn't feeling great uh, last weekend during Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving. So I said, okay, I hope you put the lights on the tree. I even let her lead the operation because I thought she was going to punch me in the mouth if I said anything, right? (laughs) But then typically, Bonnie and our girls, who are 19 at this point, Uh, put the decorations on the tree, and sometimes I'm in the room, sometimes I'm in the yard doing that, but this time it happened to be after, uh, in the evening, so they were putting the decorations, and Bonnie got all of the stuff out, and it's kind of neat to put decorations on the tree. I I remember when, before our girls were born, the first decorations we went to, I think it was Pier 1, and bought some ornaments, and our first tree had very few things on it. Now we've got more ornaments than we have tree, you know, like, but when you first start, and I remember some of those, uh, some of those ornaments and some of those decorations we bought that very first Christmas that we were married. And so uh, I thought we did a great job. The girls did a great job. Here's our tree this year. I took a picture last night. It's one of the prettiest trees. Our girls did a a great job. So Bonnie and the girls working on the decorating tree. I'm sitting across the room and I think what they were talking about, I'm a little confused on this. I think they were talking about which ornament was their favorite. Like anyone else play this game? Oh, I remember this one or this is my favorite, whatever. I think that's what they're talking about. But what I heard was, What is your favorite Bible character, right? Now, I know what you're thinking, the preacher and his family sitting at home, decorating a tree, talking about their favorite Bible character. I don't think that was it, because that doesn't sound like us, you know, (laughs) but I can assure you that probably wouldn't happen. But what I heard is, who is your favorite Bible character? And one of my daughters, Janie, said, Mary. And I was thinking, that's a really good answer, even though I heard it wrong. Uh, She was talking about Mary, so who's your favorite Bible character? And Janie said, Mary. And Bonnie said, who's Larry? And so there was a lot of laughter, and somehow the angel on the top of our tree is now named Larry, you know, now and forevermore, right? And the whole exchange sort of made me think that every family tree and everybody's history, right, in everybody's family line, not in their Christmas tree, but in everybody's family tree, has a Larry, right? You know, like somewhere there is an outlier, a family member who are what my dad would call a character, right? And everybody has a little drama. Every family have uh, members, uh, family members who are maybe just a little extra. And if that's true for each of us, it's also true of the family tree of Jesus. One of the things that has always fascinated me about the Bible is that the Bible and the people in the Bible, these Bible characters aren't squeaky clean, right? They're not perfect people. The people recorded in the pages of the the Bible were real people who lived real lives and made real mistakes. And it's all right there in the Bible for us. Now, this is not an apologetic sermon, but think about it. If I were going to write the story of the Bible, if I were going to make up a story about God, it would probably read more like, fantasy and less like a season of The Real Housewives, right? Which is what the Bible tends to kind of be like. It's like, it must be true because who could make up such stories? And who would put those stories in there if they weren't true? And that's not just true of the minor characters, but also those who play major roles in the story of the Bible. People like Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, all human all flawed on so many levels. In the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we read the genealogy of Jesus. And I found this on the uh, internet, and it's a pretty good um, family tree, following the family tree. Not just records the family tree of Jesus, but all the, not just to David or even to Abraham, but all the way back to Adam. Did you know that the Bible records the family tree of Jesus all the way back to Adam? From Adam to Abraham through David and both, then both Joseph's line and also Mary's family tree. And the Gospel of Matthew picks up the family tree of Jesus with Abraham and follows it through Mary's family tree. At the end of that list of names, I'm not going to read all those for you today. And you get a good laugh out of me trying to read all those names. But listen to this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Kind of concludes this genealogy this way. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. And in this family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, there are a few Larrys, right? There are a few characters, but even in their flaws, Even during all of their mistakes, there is one common theme. They all said yes to God. They all said yes to God and his plan for their lives. So during this Christmas season, we're going to spend each week over the next four weeks talking through some of those who are in the family tree of Jesus. Some are a little unlikely. All are flawed, but all said yes to God and his call on their lives. One of those people mentioned in the family tree of Jesus, if I'm thinking correctly, there's three women mentioned, and one of those women named in the family tree of Jesus is a woman named Ruth. Now, in the book of Ruth, chapter one, we read that during the time of the judges, right, this is before um, what we talked about through David's life, so this is before King David, before King Saul, there were a, God wanted his people to be uh, ruled by judges, and in, in the book of Ruth, during the time of Judges in Israel, Israel's history, a man named Elimelech took his sons and his wife, Naomi, to a place called Moab, another country, because there was a famine in Israel, specifically Judah. While living there, the father, Elimelech, dies. The sons eventually marry Moabite women. And tragic and tragedy hits his family again. The two sons, who also had traveled from Israel, also die. The Bible doesn't say what happened, but the result is that Naomi uh, is left without a husband, without a son, and is living in a foreign country. All she has left are her two Moabite daughters-in-law named Orpah and Ruth. So in this culture... Women had very little rights and didn't own much, didn't own a lot of property, especially in a foreign country. So Naomi decides to go back to Israel. Let's pick up the story in Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 8. It says, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. So Naomi, the mother-in-law, right, tells Orpah and Ruth to to go back to their family. It really only makes sense. They're, They're... They shouldn't go back with Naomi, back to Israel. Um, She tells them goodbye, sends them off. And at first they both say, no, we're going to stay with you, both Orpah and Ruth. Pick it up in verse 11. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to two two sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So Naomi makes a pretty good argument for them to go back to their families and stay in their home country of Moab. She doesn't have any other sons. Um, she doesn't see herself getting married again. And even if she does, she argues, am I going to have children and have two sons and then grow up and you wait to marry them? It just doesn't make sense. So she sends them again. Verse 14. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. So Orpah agrees and says goodbye to Naomi, says goodbye to Ruth. Through tears, she leaves Naomi and goes back to her family. The text text says that Ruth clung to her. Naomi must have been a great mother-in-law. Right? She must have been just the most genuine. Both of her son's wives loved her. Maybe this is a good time with the holidays sort of approaching, maybe in the middle of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Maybe it's a good time to mention that it is your responsibility, moms, as Christian mothers to be good to your sons and daughters-in-law. Do you know that? I love my mother-in-law. I'm so thankful God allowed me to marry into such a great family. And my mother-in-law thinks I'm perfect. (laughs) And I can assure you it's not because I am perfect, but it's because in her wisdom, Bonnie made a choice. My wife, Bonnie, made a choice years ago not to tell her mom and dad all of my faults. That was a choice by her because I have many, right? You see, she chose to show the best of me. In other words, she didn't put our relationship in the middle of her family at home between her parents. And every time I did something that Bonnie didn't like, run to her mom and tell her. So her mom still has a great view of me after 27 years. Now, I, I try hard, and I do love my in-laws, and my my father-in-law passed away a few years ago, and I, I still, we're gonna spend some time with Bonnie's mother today. We're gonna go to Wilmington and see one of our daughters in a core program, and uh, my mother-in-law and, and I are gonna ride down. It's gonna be great. I, I love her. I call her on her birthday. I mean, it, we have a great relationship, but she doesn't know everything about me because Bonnie has chosen not to do that. You see how it goes both ways? We are to be good in-laws to our children's spouses, but our, ch- as children, we're also to be good to our spouses, not expose them or create bad feelings between our families. We have to let parents, as parents, we have to let our children leave our homes and establish their own homes with their spouses. I heard someone say recently when their children grew up and got married, they realized that their kids' spouses were not coming to join their family, they're starting their own family. Like, you won't, you won't say, or you shouldn't say, oh, I've gained a son, or I've gained a daughter. No, you have um, let your child leave and cleave to their husband or wife and become their own family. You get the difference? Like, this guy said, my, my kids have a key to our house. They can come and go whenever they want. They're still part of our family, but I don't have a key to their house. Because that's their family, which also means he was, as a dad, he doesn't get to tell them how to live their lives and where to be on Christmas and what to do on certain days and how to raise their children and what schools their kids should go to, right? He understood his place. I think there's some wisdom in that. They don't put pressure on them or guilt trip them to show up for every holiday because the parents understood that the kids had to establish their lives together as their own family. Now, it's obvious to me that Naomi was a great mother-in-law. Both of these girls were close to her and neither wanted to leave her. Eventually, Orpah goes back to Moab and to her family, but Ruth cannot be convinced. Look at verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. So Ruth will not be dissuaded, though. She's determined to stay with Naomi. She will not be talked off staying with her mother-in-law. Listen to what Ruth says. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She is completely Determined and completely loyal to Naomi. There's no legal, there's no ethical, there's no real religious reason for her to go with Naomi, but she will not relent. Have you ever met somebody who is totally committed to a cause or to something? In the early 20th century, Sir Ernest Shackleton led the Imperial Trans Antarctic Expedition aiming to cross Antarctica. So this is early 1900s when their ship, the Endurance, became trapped in ice and eventually sank. Shackleton and his crew faced an unprecedented survival challenge. Despite insurmountable odds, Shackleton's commitment to his crew's well-being prevailed. He led them on a grueling journey across ice and open sea, enduring extreme conditions. And after months of hardship, every member of the crew was rescued. Shackleton's total commitment to his team's survival against all odds remains a legendary example of commitment and determination. Later, he wrote, Difficulties are just things to overcome. In verse 18, it says, When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Naomi and Ruth's journey wasn't through Antarctica, but it was probably just as harrowing, full of challenges, obstacles, and many miles to overcome. And there was no reason that Ruth should stay with Naomi except love and that sense of commitment that she had. She didn't know it at the time, but Ruth was saying yes by staying yes uh, by saying yes to staying with Naomi was in fact saying yes to God, right? So this morning, as we begin to think about the Christmas story, I want us to rewind a few generations to the story of Ruth. I want us to think about what happened this many generations before Mary and Joseph. How many things had to fall into place so that the Messiah would be born? How many people had to say yes to God so that the story of God could be written through the birth of Jesus? Three things I want us to consider real quickly this morning through the story of Ruth. First of all, every yes includes a no, right? Every yes includes a no or a series of no's. Saying yes to God also involves saying no. Ruth replied, verse 16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. So when Ruth made the decision to stay with Naomi, she said no to a bunch of other things, didn't she? She said no to living with her own family. So she said goodbye to her father, her mother, her siblings, if she had them, to her extended family. She said no to her country, to her identity as a citizen of Moab, and to her religion. She said no to what she knew, to her hometown, to the climate, to the geography she was used to, to all the customs and traditions of Moab. She said no to everything so that she could say yes to Naomi and indirectly say yes to God. See, following God sometimes means, actually it always means you have to say no to certain things in your life. Every yes includes some no's. It's really about making the right choices, isn't it? Life is a series of choices. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Notice it doesn't say, in all your ways, submit to what your parents think, or what society thinks, or culture thinks, or what the the newest influencer thinks, or what Twitter thinks, or X, or whatever we're calling it this week. It right, doesn't say anything other than submitting to God. He's going to make your path straight, which means you have to say no to a bunch of other things just to say yes to God. Saying yes to God includes saying no to anything that would take you off of that path that he's going to make for you. Second thing to consider is this in the story of Ruth. Every yes sets a direction. So saying yes to God sets you in a definitive direction. Look at verse 16 again. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. So Ruth makes a decision to follow Naomi. Wherever Naomi goes, Ruth agrees to follow. This is one of the greatest sort of statements of faith in all the Bible. Ruth's answer to Naomi has become sort of a classic expression of devotion and loyalty as it's sometimes recited even as a marriage vow or part of the marriage vows, which is ironic since it's because of the death of her husband that Ruth has to make this statement to Naomi. And it sets the direction for the rest of her life. This was not just a commitment to see Naomi back to Judah, but to share her home and her circumstances, whatever they might be. There was a lot of uncertainty for Naomi and now also for Ruth going back to Judah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, I don't think Ruth fully understood it at that moment when she said yes to going with Naomi. But God would work through her decision to make her prosper, to give her a future, one that she couldn't even imagine. Beyond her, into her relatives, and her family tree moving forward to give her hope. Saying yes to God sets a direction for your life. Have you ever come to a crossroad in your life? You ever had to make a decision, right? You may not see it at the time, but when you make the decision, in those times where you have to make a decision, you're standing at a crossroad in your life, whenever you have to make those decisions, if you choose God, it's setting a direction for your life. And some of those decisions are easier than other decisions. If I go this way, if I say no to certain things, certain people in my life, but this is the right way to go. This is the way that is pleasing. This is the way that honors God. So the decision between right and wrong is, in some ways, the easier decision, isn't it? Like if you stand there, you see it in the moment. Okay, this is the right way. This is honoring to God. This is the wrong way. This does not honor God. That's kind of an easier decision. You know what the hardest decision in life is? The decision between right and right. Like, which is better? And there's not always a clear answer, but I will... I believe this, that if you continually choose the path that you think God has for you, and not like making stuff up, but understanding your Bible, understanding the principles of the Bible, understanding you know, the principles of what Jesus taught us. And if you live by those principles and if you base your life on those things, right? Like Jesus said, not on the sandy soil or the sandy ground that can be washed out, but on a solid foundation of Jesus and his words. If you do that consistently over the course of your life, your life's gonna be better. Your life's gonna work out doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. doesn't mean storms won't come, but the ground under you won't wash out. If you wake up every day and say to God, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. If God is a part of your decision-making process, you're never going to be wrong, and it will set the direction for your life. Finally, we learn from the story of Ruth, every yes is an opportunity. Ruth says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. See, I don't believe Ruth, I know Ruth didn't fully understand what this decision would mean for her life and family and future generations, but I do think that she was willing to say yes. She was willing to say yes, not just to Naomi, but also to living with Naomi and and worshiping Naomi's God, the one true God. Look at verse 22 there in Ruth chapter 1. Catch this. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in where? Bethlehem. as As the barley harvest was beginning. Did you catch that? Naomi and Ruth returned from Moab to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. Ruth eventually marries a man from Bethlehem named Boaz. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 5 and 6, first part of verse 6. And I want you to just kind of catch this. Sam and the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. So Boaz is the father of Obed, who's the father of Jesse, which makes Boaz the great-grandfather of King David, which makes Ruth the great-grandmother. And as we know, the Messiah was a descendant of David and was born in a town named Bethlehem. All because this foreign woman, Ruth, a Moabite, allowed her mother-in-law's people to become her people. She didn't know it at the time, but she said yes to God. She's one of, I think, three women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Think about the difference that has made for eternity. What might seem like an insignificant yes, when you're following God, could be generationally implicated have implications into many generations, right? I, I don't know how many Larrys you have in your family tree. We've got a few. Who are the outliers in your family? What, what is your place in God's plan? Maybe you're the outlier. Maybe through you, your family tree will be changed for generations to come. I want us to do something this year. Each time you look at your Christmas tree, one of my favorite things is um, on, during this time, I, I usually get up first at our house, and it's usually dark this time of year when I get up. And I love during December, first thing I do is turn on the Christmas tree, right? And there's something really beautiful about a quiet morning when it's still dark and just you and the Christmas tree. And I want you to think about something this year. I want you to think about, Larry, when you look at your tree. Our angel is named Larry, okay? But more than that, I want you to think about your family tree. Who was the outlier in your family? Like, who is responsible for your family knowing God and having faith? Who's the outlier that brought you to where you are today? Maybe it's you. Like maybe you think back over your family tree, and you think, really, none of my family believed. None of my family was sort of dialed into Christ or the church or anything. Maybe it's you, you're the outlier, the one who could change future generations in your own family tree just by saying yes to God today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and how much you love us. I thank you that even though Ruth didn't know God you knew. And that her simple yes to to Naomi. Her simple going where she went and staying where she stayed and letting Naomi's people become her people and you God become her God. Her saying yes changed the course of history. Lord, because of that decision, that yes, the Messiah came into this world. So, Lord, help us to just not diminish or think that the decisions and the crossroads that we come to are insignificant. Lord, they're not. We never know when the yes to following you in our lives might have generational implications in our own family. We never know, Lord, when maybe someone in our family tree in future generations might be the next whoever. Great evangelist, great missionary, great preacher. You never know when us saying yes today might influence our grandkids and their kids and their kids. Just to know you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that If we get nothing else out of Ruth's story, we would get this, that she was willing to say yes to you, to make you her God. And Lord, because of that, through her family tree, Jesus was born. So we're thankful. We're thankful for every name in that genealogy. Lord, we're thankful especially for the name of Ruth said yes to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.